Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Want and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth. Take a look. They are safe as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them. They're everywhere. We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on the TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletale. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. Welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today I'm joined by one half of the dynamic duo, Kyle Zaner in the house. Uh, Terrence has started a new job, so we're still trying to finagle when he can come and and record, so he's still getting used to the schedule. So with that being said, we will be discussing today episode number 72, They Live, the famous Rowdy Roddy Roddy Piper Piper movie. Uh, John Carpenter's movie, They Live. So, uh, Kyle. (laughs) Terrence Kyle. Kyle. You look Uh, the same to me. I don't even bother. All young people look the same to Jimbo. I'm going to give you the blunt of the question today since uh, Terrence isn't here. Strike away. Kyle, give me your top three favorite wrestlers of all time. Top three favorite wrestlers of all time. Okay, number one, it's easy for me. It's uh, it's Macho Man Randy Savage, favorite wrestler of all time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Step to a slim gym. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and number two, it actually does go straight to Roddy Piper, Roddy Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, very guy. You know, Scotland got the you know the whole you know the 
kilt. We'll get into the facts about him later having the whole kilt and the uh, the, what's the instrument called the uh, the back bagpipes and all kind of stuff and the whole Scotch English. And then I'm third up. I'm going to go full on uh, uh, very recent. What's his name? (laughs) I can't get on the spot. So now his name is going to be lost on me. But uh, uh, recently, rest of Washington something. Um, Oh, what's his name? He's got got the trumpet on stage. He's doing. Oh no! I got like Xavier. Out. Xavier Woods. There yeah. we go. Xavier Woods. Yes, third. <laughs> yes, easy third. I can't. I I, I I know his name, but I can't remember on the top of my head. Yeah. So as much modern wrestling I'm watching right now, but still, right. Xavier Woods is very good. Right. So that's that's my top three. Jimbo, what are your top three wrestlers? Well, obviously, number one will always be and forever will be Hulk Hogan. Uh, just No Holds Barred is another great wrestling movie. Um, uh, probably. <laughs> Probably The Undertaker. Uh, he, he Respectable. Yeah. And then probably Bret the Hitman Hart. It was probably my third. So All good choices. Awesome. Right. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about John Carpenter's The Thing. Or, sorry, The Thing. Well, he did do The Thing. The, we're doing They Live. One day. <laughs> yeah, we're doing They Live today. Just, so, we'll cut man. the audio clip out. We'll put it in the end of future episodes. <laughs> you know. uh, sorry, we're full on Denny's breakfast this morning. So Exactly. It's, it's, we got the food coma going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Kyle, let's go ahead and take it away. They Live, not The Thing. They yeah. Live. <laughs> yeah. They Live, not The Thing. Released on November 4th, 1988. Uh, fantastic film, I'm going to say. And uh, let's see here. Um, where do I go on? I, it was directed by John Carpenter. Also, I haven't directed the thing if you haven't heard of that. <laughs> um, writers, uh, John Carpenter also wrote the screenplay. And Ray Nelson wrote the short story, 8 O'Clock in the Morning, which was the basis of the inspiration for this movie. Next, we have the producers, Larry Franco, composers, also John Carpenter on composition, um, followed with Alan Howarth. Um, Howarth, Howarth. That's I'm going to say. That's probably the better pronunciation of that. Cinematographer is Gary B. Kibb, and editors were Gib Jaffe, Gib Jaffe, and Frank E. Jimenez. I believe that's the pronunciation. Hopefully, I get it right. We'll find out. Looks up. We're going on to the technical details. We have the runtime of 94 minutes. Sound mix is double stereo, Dolby stereo, four channels, Dolby surround sound 7.1, and Dolby Atmos. Color info, color is black and white and in full color. So aspect ratio is 2.39 by by 1, or like a 16 by 9 aspect ratio, classic ratio. Camera is the Panavision Panaflex Gold and the Panavision Super High Speed Lenses. Next up we have the laboratory for Deluxe Hollywood, California, USA. Film length is 2,576 meters long, also known as 5 reels in length. Next, we have the negative format. Of, negative format is 35 millimeters. Um, process is digital intermediary 4K for the 2020 remaster they just did, just just last year. Pretty awesome. And Panavision anim, anamorphic. Uh, Print format is also 35 millimeters. Next up, we have the budget, which was four million dollars. Even for the time, that's very low, very modest for a movie nowadays. Um, for the time, very modest movie. Opening weekend, it made $4.8 million, so just made its money back just barely. So kind of uh, makes it in the cult classic kind of a category of movies that we cover here. Um, gross overall was $13.1 million, gross worldwide. And I believe it only premiered in U.S. and Canada, so worldwide is the same as the U.S. and Canada, obviously. So then we move on to awards. Which we go on um, four nominations. Uh, they had the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films in USA nominated. 
and <laughs> nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film and Best Music, and that was awarded to, uh, for that was a nomination for Alan Howarth and John Carpenter. They were also nominated for the. Uh, and I'm going to hopefully not butcher this too badly. <laughs> um, Avarez Fantastic Film Festival. They were nominated for the Grand Prize. And it was for John Carpenter. And Fast the Sporto. Sporto? Yeah, Fast the Sporto. Okay. Um, nominated for International Fantasy Film Award. Best Film by John Carpenter. So I guess privilege to be nominated, but no wins. Yeah, there's some awards there that we haven't ever even covered ever in any of the movies that we've done. So it's pretty interesting to see some of those new awards popping up even though they were just nominations yeah it's just it's just yeah any company can be an award show too we can have our own awards if you wanted to so it's always weird to see how many are out there and how many are like well recognized we but. do have our own awards the tragedies you yeah. haven't been on part of that episode yet but we do have the tragedies i, I, I don't listen to podcasts <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we recording right yeah, now not, you didn't tell me <laughs> yeah not only am i what was it the hair club for men <laughs> not only am I a spokesperson i'm a yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, we also have uh, filming locations. It was filmed in downtown, downtown, downtown Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, California, USA, Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles, one sixteen North Spring Street, eighty six thirty four Franklin Avenue, forty three four hundred thirty one West Seventh Street, eight hundred ninety nine West First Street, Spring Street Bridge, and the. Three three hundred fifty five South Grand Avenue and the three thirty three South Spring Street, and the twelve twelve hundred Colton Street in Los Angeles, California. So were all those in Los Angeles? Yeah, all those were in Los Angeles, California, okay. USA. I just don't remember racing games like Los Angeles, California, USA. It's good. <laughs> yeah. San Francisco Rush or whatever. It was. Yeah. yeah. Filming dates, um, very quick filming dates. We just went from March to April, so March, April, May, uh, March, March and April, just two months, and just knocked it right out of the park. So this was like just a little uh, fun, little small project for John Carpenter. See, that's that's unheard of anymore. Like most of them take like months to film now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's, it's still it's highly unusual to see directors do a small project overall, like around like less than ten million dollars nowadays. Um, it still takes them months upon months, or they spend like. Or they spend, like, in their off time, they spend years and kind of, like, working, making gradual process on it. Mm-hmm. You know, so, still, you know, it's always nice to see what happens, though. So, Kyle, if I told you, give me a one to two sentence synopsis of this movie to entice somebody to watch this movie, what would you say? Uh, one to two sentence synopsis. That's a little bit tougher than I think. But I would say a quick synopsis is, you know, aliens are among us. And not just like the phone game. <laughs> Aliens are among us, and they are controlling the world. And if you ever felt like you were not being treated right, or the world wasn't working the way it should, maybe there's a good reason for that. Right. Yeah. Very, very interesting um, plot for this movie. Um, it makes you think, uh, but we'll get to that here in a little bit. So, yeah. So, um, moving on, um, I guess I got yeah, go for the cast. I, I, I've done my Terrence part for my, my my discount Terrence. I'm not I'm not quite Terrence, but I, I try to be sometimes. <laughs> and moving on to, um, I didn't even do the whole for the awards. I, I yeah, missed that voluntarily. You'll get there eventually if Terrence you keeps know, someday. Missing. I'll be a good boy like Terrence, but um, Terrence isn't here right now. <laughs> moving on to the cast. Which is very exciting. We have Roger Toombs, better known as the Rowdy Roddy Piper, um, best known, of course, for his role as a wrestler in the WWF and WCW between the years of 1984 and 2000. 
So, an incredible wrestler, like obviously second. Uh, <laughs> I put him number two, my best of all time, and I think that's a well-deserved place, if not best of all time. And like depending on the day you ask me, even. But yeah, fantastic wrestler, fantastic guy. Roll. Um, he's also a reoccurring character on Always Sunny in Philadelphia as the D Maniac, as a um, kind of like a, a parody of himself as like an even more crazy and outrageous wrestler. And um, he was also in a possibly well-known for the movie um, playing Sam Hell in the movie Hell Comes to Frogtown, which the movie this which the movie will probably never cover on this podcast, but it's a good movie regardless. <laughs> Next up, Wait, we, but what was the name of his character in this? Oh, oh, it was Nada, 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 which means nothing in Spanish. And I thought that was funny that yeah. they didn't do Nada because they never even use his name in right. the film. It's just Nada. It's nothing. He's the man of no name. He's 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 John Everyman in this movie. Just yeah. a guy down on his luck, discovers aliens, and happens to us all. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have the second best actor in this. Well, not the second best actor. <laughs> also, an amazing actor in this film. Uh, basically, the co-lead, if you want to say. It even we have Keith David playing Frank. You'll re- you'll best recognize Frank from uh, <laughs> Keith David from the other cult classic John Carpenter film, The Thing, and uh, <laughs> which was of course also directed by John Carpenter. And he's also a perfect prolific voice actor, doing things like uh, the Halo games. He's been in Rick and Morty, the Mass Effect games, and all those kind of things, and uh, dozens upon dozens of movies. And uh, Keith David is amazing; has one of the best voices in Hollywood, if not the best. In my opinion, my humble opinion. Next up, we have George, aka Buck Flower, playing the Drifter, kind of the uh, the sellout uh, Drifter person in the slums areas. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Now, um, he's in films. He's appeared in films um, mainly as a bum in a lot of films. I noticed, but he's appeared in Back to the Future, Starman, and the other John Carpenter film, the other 1995 John Carpenter film, Village of the Damned. Next up, we have Meg Foster playing Holly. She appeared in Masters in the Universe, The Lords of Salem, and the Rob Zombie film 31. Who'd she play in Masters of the Universe? Yeah, I want to say it was Evil Lynn. Was, nice. was, her, was, her, was her cast name? We got to do that movie. That yeah, was so cheesy. It was God, great. Yeah. I, I've never sat down and watched it all the way through. I think for good reason. <laughs> Maybe I should go back to that. that was a Dolph Lundgren, right? I yeah, so. yeah, Dolph, Dolph Lundgren. Lundgren. The the perfect build for He Man, honestly. And Frank Lagula's uh, Skeletor was pretty good yeah, too. That's excellent cast, an inspired cast, if you will. Yeah. Anyways, moving on, we have Peter Jason playing Gilbert. He was kind of the uh, character recognized as probably the closest we get to a resistance leader or like commander of the field, kind of like sort of that. One of the main organizers of the resistance movement, anyways. Um, he's um, he was in the 1995 Mortal Kombat film. He was also in Escape from L.A. and uh, and the 1982 the 1982 film 48 Hours with like Nick Nolte like that. Um, he's kind of like a great everyman actor. I think he had something close to like 200 movie roles. Like he like he's uh, just a, a character where like. He, never, he doesn't play many name characters, but he's like in the extras of the background of like so many films that you still recognize him. So he's one of those actors. And then lastly, we have Raymond Saint Jacques. I believe it's that's a <laughs> it's a French last name. Raymond Saint Jacques playing the blind street preacher, the blind street preacher, not preacher. <laughs> um, yeah, um, he was also in other films such as um, Cotton Comes to Harlem. Green Berets and Change My Mind in the 80s. So another that's the basically the the largely that's basically the cast of They Live. Really short cast but also everyone did their did their part well and adequately. Right. 
So uh, now we can move on to the actual film. <laughs> yeah. So now that Kyle is done speaking for the rest of the day. No. <laughs> My um, voice is going. <laughs> so we're going to do a, a, a quick walk through this movie. Nothing real until uh, we get to the Too in-depth, stuff. Yeah. right? So basically you've got Nada. Uh, you see, uh, coming into this just, town. Let's just refer to him as Roddy Piper. Let's be, it's Roddy Piper. That's just <laughs> no, it's not a. Uh, comes it's to this Roddy town. Nada. You see him just walking. Um, he's trying to find a job. Mm-hmm. Um, what's he going to the bank? I think, and he asked the lady or asked the man, uh, "Hey, you got something for me?" He's like, "Well, we don't have nothing for you right now." I thought what? it was like the unemployment office or something like that. Oh, like, okay. Someone like basically like the person you talk to who searches for a job for you because they're like the openings available in the, in, in the city, and uh, yeah, it's a very. Um, very, very, very reminiscent of the first Rambo film when he first gets back from Vietnam. He's just kind of like casually walking across the entire town. Um, of course, in this case, like he actually isn't bothered. <laughs> right. So eventually, he just ends up uh, joining a construction crew mm-hmm. um, where he meets. Is that where he meets? Uh, That's where uh, he meets Frank Keith Dave. Keith, Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Frank. We're gonna call him by their character name because. So he meets Frank, and and basically Rowdy's like, hey, uh, you know, where's a, is there a place to stay or whatever? And Frank, or and Frank's like, hey, you know, there's this place shelter basically downtown, mm-hmm. gives you a, a warm bed and a hot meal or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or even like you know, like even like a just a, it, it's basically like a, a slum town basically or a, a, a homeless uh, a homeless town basically because like there's right. no real they don't stay in a real building. It's basically like all. Um, put together garbage and like um, uh, you know wood paneling, basically all stuck together like partial like tent, a camp, basically. yeah, like a yeah a, a slum camp if you will, or something like that, where it's a, a group of people still staying together and they do have a food drive basically, but it's not like an a an apartment. <laughs> so yeah. while um, Roddy is here, sorry, Nada is here. <laughs> no, Nada is here at this. Had it right the first time. Okay, yeah. Either way, you know who I'm talking about. Nada or Roddy, it's going to be Go Piper. You're no one's going to know who Nada is. Right? <laughs> nothing. It's nothing. Um, yeah, so Roddy Piper is staying over for the night there, and he sees that the church is uh, still continuously playing music, and people are running in and out, running in and out, till like all night long. For and he's very curious about that. He's like, he's, he kind of sees that um, something isn't quite right about that place. And uh, also, the um, there's one television out in the middle of the field that's playing stuff, and it, there's a signal broadcast that's being interrupted, basically. And uh, the street preacher's also there around the homeless shelter, around the church, and he's reciting the lines before they even come in. So he's like, he's very confused and suspicious as to what's going on. Clearly, all these things are related in some weird way, and nothing's quite um, right. <laughs> right. And he actually sits down and, and like he's with a group of people and they start talking about hmm. um, some weird stuff going on and, and how they're you know uh, the propaganda and all that you know that they're they basically about. entered some equivalent like a second great depression in their own world to some degree like it's like mass layoff and riots and other kind of things going around where like the whole world has fallen into a a bit of an economic disarray, not necessarily like full apocalypse, but it's clear that like no one's be able to find jobs and, and like people are moving around the entire nation and just lost basically. So probably bad state for the world. And they, they don't know exactly why. Right. Now. So we'll, we'll, we'll jump around a little bit. So basically Rowdy ends up going to, into the church, sneaks into the church and he hears something, even though the, the, he says the recording of the, the choir still singing rock of ages. And then, um, he does he look in there and see him? But they're having a secret meeting behind one of these uh, fake fake walls. He's like in the like he's yeah yeah they have like fake walls around basically surviving like the main choir room basically the main uh, 
I don't know, poultry or whatever you call auditorium. it. Auditorium? Yeah, the main auditorium room. And he's, like, in the, kind of, like, the entrance area, just kind of, like, held back, or even, like, the back kitchen area of the church, just kind of hiding and listening in on what they're talking about. And he notices, like, there's also, like, the table that has sunglasses on them, and he's really confused. He's like, clearly, it's not it's not church services going on in the church. Right. <laughs> so he's trying to figure out what's going on there. And uh, uh, just as he's about to kind of get, like, the information, he kind of wants the uh, street the street preacher grabs him and turns him around and tells him, like, and, and uh, basically interrogates him real quick and is about to make him join the movement but uh roddy gets scared and just like he just immediately runs out of the room because he doesn't want to be caught basically spying on this group because he doesn't know what they're about and if it's safe to do that very reasonable in my opinion (laughs) and is this where he grabbed the sunglasses no this isn't where he grabs the sunglasses because um later there's um as soon as he exits he notices um choppers going over the um church and it's clear that the um the authority, the police know where that church is at, and the and the congregation, the resistance members are also aware that they're being watched. So they quickly evacuate the entire place, and then that night, the police roll in and destroy the entire With slum town, basically breaking the construction equipment and the bring, guns yeah. and everything. And just start beating yeah, people, full on riot control, knocking stuff down, destroying the entire homeless shelter, basically. Oh, one thing that sticks sticks out in my mind is when uh, the uh, the blind preacher. <laughs> he's got his thing and he just I ride and I yeah. shall come for me. And they just beat him. <laughs> they just beat him with a billy club down. Um, yes. So basically, Frank and, and Rowdy um, take off together. You know, they have to get out of there. Yeah. Well, they actually get they actually get separated actually. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, and then uh, yeah, and then uh, it's it's uh, basically Roddy takes shelter in another um, another random home basically where he found a few other people, and in the morning he goes back to the church and realizes the entire place is abandoned, and uh, he he sneaks in and finds a box and he just takes the box and he goes to a street alley and he opens it up and he just finds sunglasses in there, and when he puts the sunglasses on he uh, immediately sees. The world for what it truly is, which is now under this basically this uh, alien aliens alien invasion domain, basically where they have created this whole world of propaganda and hy- hypnosis to make you conform to the worst parts of society or something like that. And uh, and it's 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 really interesting because like even like a billboard. Let's say you see a uh, 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 Coca Cola billboard outside you're driving, and you put these glasses on, and it says obey. Obey or consume, or, or consume, like that. or you know, what I mean, yeah, uh, don't don't question, and it, and yeah, it, obey authority. All so these things. sunglasses have given him the opportunity to see things for the, or, and not only that, but he can see the aliens look different than humans when he has these on. So the aliens are walking around amongst humans, and they, I guess, they kind of look like. Uh, like a corpse, kind of. I guess, like it still has the skin and muscle tissue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they still have skin. They have like huge toad-like eyes. They have and like a skeletal mouth, basically. Right. And uh, they have like, like almost like this peeled back skin kind of look. Right. Of like yeah, a, yeah. Not like a quite skin. complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it kind of looks like, like the fleshy underseat you have under your skin. They have like almost that exposed, and they have like weird toad-like eyes, and their whole jaws exposed. Right. And it's a. Uh, it's very. Um, it's not really. Um, frightening but it is disconcerting and looks gross in a very in a very convincing way it's a great creature so basically rowdy can see the who they are um mm-hmm. and he ends up getting in trouble because now uh he's like man you're ugly you know he's basically walking, yeah he's walking through town he's like oh yeah you know like honey that ain't gonna help you blah 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 and uh basically he ends up uh they they find out that he can see and they're like we got to see her somebody that can see us yeah so and, yeah they call the cops and the cops are in on it too or basically they're they, the the cops are are uh, instigating the authority for the aliens 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting how they did that. Um, so basically, he ends up does he, he kills the cop, don't he? The yes, one that's he does. the alien. Yeah, yeah. He kills. Uh, it's it's two cops or two aliens, and he kills them both. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, he, he was like, oh, they they die just like the rest of us do. So he kills both those police officers. Actually, I believe he knocks one out and he shoots the other one. I believe. Right. Yeah. yeah. And he tells is a, so now he's on the run from the law. He's got the gun from the one cop. Mm-hmm. Um, where did where's he end up getting the shotgun from? Like he takes the billy club from one gun. He takes the billy club from one cop immediately. Then he gets the, the gets the pistol from the other and shoots him dead. And then I I believe he. Gets into the, I the cop he, car. I, I think he gets it from the cop car, but I don't think he gets in the cop car. I think he actually just takes a shotgun out of it, and then he immediately just slings it on his shoulder and just runs away. Yeah, <laughs> he just so runs. he's he's running for his life, and he ends up going into a, a bank of all <laughs> a things. bank with a shotgun, a pistol, yeah. and sunglasses. <laughs> and this is where he has one of the famous lines from the movie, which we're going to keep this uh, the PG version the, right. So he basically says, "I have come here to yeah. chew bubble gum and kick butt." And he's like, I'm all out of bubblegum. I'm out of bubblegum. It's a great line. He has a couple of great lines in this movie. Um, so basically, Rowdy's on the run. He ends up uh, hijacking a lady. Say, hey, I need you to take me to your house. Blah, blah, blah. So she ends up taking him to her house. And man, does she throw him out the window. That one. Yeah. So basically, he's trying to hide from the cops and everything. And she ends up beating him over the head, I think, with a champagne bottle or something. Yeah, basically throws, head and throws him out of the window. Yeah. And he goes rolling down like the side of Los Angeles Cliff. Yeah. He loses his sunglasses too, so then he he, he runs back to the construction yard where he finds Frank, played by Keith David. <laughs> and he's like he's like, brother, he's like I've been he's like, Where you been? He's like, I'm in trouble. And so this sets well, up. Keith David Frank has heard the news about yeah. what Roddy Piper has done. Like, how many people did you kill? And Roddy's he's like, like, none. I didn't kill any people. Trust me. And it's like, you are crazy. You need to hide. <laughs> Stay away from me. I got a family and a job. This, I don't know you. <laughs> this sets up one of the greatest fight scenes in cinema history because Roddy's like, put the sunglasses on. He's like, I got to show you. He's like, I'm not putting the sunglasses on. He's like, put the sunglasses on. Like, put the-. So they just start punching each other. And, and each other, and every time you think the fight's over, it continues on for another exactly. four and a half minutes. Yeah, I think it's like a full five minute, just a five minute unrotated scene, basically. And they full- are just waylaying on each other. I mean, waylaying them, I and they're they're cut, they're bleeding, uh, they're limping. Uh, but finally, Rowdy gets the sunglasses on Frank, and he's like, "Yeah, brother, he's like, I told you." He's like, yeah, so. look everywhere, and he sees like there's aliens, and he sees flying saucers, and all the kind of stuff. The black and because white. Frank had brought him his his wages, he threw the money at his feet. Remember, yeah, he brought he's like, I did what wages, I could. Like, this is the best I could do for you, bro. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> but before he could leave, he managed. Um, uh, right here, found another box of sunglasses, and he and he threw one. And he basically got Frank to wear one. He forced one on him, and then he realized, like, oh god, we are under alien occupation. Right. That's not good. <laughs> so they end up getting a hotel for the night or whatever, and and, and you know they're like, what do we do? Um, mm-hmm. So we're just gonna go ahead and jump. Pretty much, well, the, yeah. Then they stumble upon. Uh, uh, I got the character's name. Uh, Gilbert, the resistance member, basically the advocate. They stumble upon him. He was at the church too, doing that kind of stuff. They stumble upon Gilbert again, and he gives them the information like, "Hey, we're having a gathering tonight. All that kind of stuff. You come along. We'll tell you about what it, what we're doing to try and fight this alien occupation, like that." And they go there, and they go to that. Um, I don't think it's another church, but they go to they go to the meeting place, and they get. Um, that's where Roddy Piper meets Meg Foster again, and Holly and Meg Foster's like. 
I'm sorry I threw you out a window. I thought I killed you. <laughs> but do you remember the guy that's standing outside when they go? Oh. He's like, stuff's going down. Or stuff's going down. <laughs> Welcome, brothers. <laughs> Such a cool dude. I, I wish Macho Man would have played that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, brother. Welcome, brothers. Uh, so... <laughs> So the basically, they're man. going in there. They're, 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 they say, "Hey, take what they're they're loading up on weapons and all mm-hmm. this." And now somebody has turned them in or something because the aliens come. And somebody attack, sold them out, right? Yeah, clearly. Um, so basically, the, they they find one of the watches or they have one of the watches. They don't know how it is. They because the aliens have this thing on their watch where they can. He's like, "Hey, we got one." They can like see. a two way two way radio where they can communicate, with and the they other can aliens. disappear with it. Yeah, they can teleport with it. So basically, Frank and and Roddy. Uh, end up running down this alleyway and they're kind of closing in on them and basically the watch is on the ground and it opens up this portal and they fall through the portal they don't know where they're at they've actually stumbled upon the main alien, base yeah the alien the command aliens. center to the degree yeah right and uh they don't know where that they comes to find out they're in the television tower uh where meg worked yeah and the main tower the and they have a whole they have a whole meeting of the 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 power elites i like how everything's kind of kept vague i'll talk about more about that later but like they have a, like they have basically this huge gala of the power elite talking about how like we've successfully quelled the rebellion when killed the resistance on the east coast and now we are free to rule the world again so everything's back to normal and then the drifter comes in um who is played by um i got it right here written down buck flower who was the um basically a a drifter who was talking about how the world was ending and really confused but it's clear that when the aliens invaded the slum town that they managed to get buck flowers character and actually convinced them to turn coat basically and so he's comes in with a suit like hey you guys are part of the crew too that's the only way you could be here obviously let me show you around right and and i think it's very important to realize that in this in this alien base there's humans in there with the aliens that are working together with them oh yeah because it's not just it's like the elite of the elite the rich people they have joined with the aliens to take over the world basically and and we forgot to point out that uh, wearing the sunglasses would give them like this really bad headache, make them dizzy or whatever, and they actually get contact lenses they put in. Oh yeah, uh, that can help them out, see. Yeah. That, that can help them see too. Yeah. So basically, the signal that is uh, communicating all this over the television waves and radio waves and, and keeping the aliens' secret identity hid from the human eyes is this big tower uh, antenna on top of the, the uh, building. Yeah. Basically, Rowdy Rowdy Piper goes up there. He's going to destroy it. it. Turns out that Meg is actually. The I know big baddie, yeah. right? She's she's one of the highest, and she's like, I can't let you do that. Well, Rowdy's like, okay, and he shoots her, kills her, shoots the antenna, gives the helicopter the bird. But as soon as he shoots the antenna, all the aliens are now uh, visible across the world for the naked eye. Yeah. So you there's like people watching the newscast, and the two newscasters are aliens. Yeah. And they're um, like, oh my god, you're so ugly. What happened? Yeah. You know, and they're trying um, to figure it out. Yeah. Just a fair warning. This is, I believe, rated R. There is yes. uh, some language in it. And the some very nudity. end of the movie, there is some nudity, which you were like, and I can't believe this is how the movie ended. You know what I mean? It was just <laughs> yeah. an abrupt ending. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's basically the movie in a nutshell. Uh, but now we'll go on to talk some, some trivia. Me and Kyle banner back and forth right here. So, yeah. Um, the thing with Roddy Piper is everybody knows he was a great villain wrestler, but he always kept a, like, I don't want to say a diary, a journal of quotes that he was thinking of to uh, say in the ring or whatever. You know, he had a journal, and he he shared it with John Carpenter. And one of them in there was the bubblegum quote. And Carpenter loved it so much, he said, this would be perfect... You know, for for the movie for your character, so he he used it. And also, like the follow up line, I believe, like when a when a 
the first alien teleports away and is like revealing that Roddy Piper's doing the stuff in the bank. He's like, Mama don't like no tattletales. (laughs) (laughs) So many fun lines like that too. Um, Carpenter actually brought in real homeless folks into the production for several scenes mm-hmm. and some of the smaller characters. But he so, gave them paychecks, not only paychecks, but he also fed them. He said, I thought it was a, uh, Piper said, I thought it was a pretty classic thing to do of the director. So, yeah, especially like for the budget, like it was like it's, it's an effective way to also save money to actually, you know, hire, like, you know, instead of hiring fake actors who play homeless people, get real homeless people and give them money, give them food. And actually, they did build that real, t- that real slum area for them to live in while they're shooting. Vice. Right. Yeah. Um, we've talked about the probably one of the biggest fight scenes in cinema history, um, but it was actually designed, rehearsed, and choreographed in the backyard of director John Carpenter's production office. The fight between Rowdy Piper and Keith David was only supposed to last 20 seconds, but Piper and David decided to fight it out for real, only faking the hits to the face and the groin. They rehearsed the fight for three weeks. Carpenter was so impressed he kept the scene intact, which runs five minutes and twenty seconds. And it's really impressive because, like you know, uh, like uh, Keith David up to this point, like largely, like uh, besides the like he had largely just a, he's been a stage performer, like up until that point. This I believe is one of his first films he's actually been part of, and uh, so he um, he's not a wrestler, he's not a fighter like that. So to actually train with Roddy Piper for those three weeks and learn all those cool wrestling moves that he got to pull on to really just shows how good of a performer he was, where he picked up all that stuff and. Um, Keith David and Roddy Piper actually did stay lifelong friends after this film, too. They became really good friends. Right. Um, also, Piper was married during the time of this film. If you if you, if you you pay close attention to the movie, you can see he has his wedding ring on. Mm-hmm. But nothing's ever said in the movie about him being married or kids or anything like that. But he had been married, and he said he wouldn't take off his wedding ring to shoot the film. So I thought that was really great. Yeah. It's really good, just like like you know, like the, the tiniest bit of character development for him, because he really is just playing like he's playing in every man to to such a hard extent. You know, this is a you know a, a, such a a film of generalities in a very um, intended way. You know, um, something I find really like um, it, it's interesting that John Carpenter made this film to me because um, this is going to go on a little bit of a tangent right here, but like oh yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> going down the rabbit hole. Going down the rabbit hole. Like I kind of like Spike Lee movies. Because I like well, Spike Lee joints. Uh, correction, Spike Lee joints. Because whenever he makes a film, he puts it all out there. He wants to make sure he has every opinion he could possibly shove in that film in that film. So he puts it all in there, lays it on the line, like it's the last movie he'll ever make, and he does that with every movie he makes. And I love that about him. And this is basically kind of specifically they live. It is John Carpenter's version of that. Where like, if you want to know what John Carpenter thinks about you know capitalism, the government, uh, any authority figures, religion, or you know consumerism or property, if you want to know what he thought about that in 1988, you're gonna learn about it here. And they live in a lot of general in a lot of the general sense, like both how vague it is and how specific it is in his world. This is where John Carpenter laid out his whole worldview to a lot of extents of like how he views the problems in the world, how he thinks of the elites, you know, how he thinks that's vague, like all these power structures are working against the common man basically like that and that's why his hero is such a, uh, a generalized person even the enemy is like it's not like big oil or big pharma or something like that it's all just it's the elite it's all of the big companies it's all of the other power structures like they're all working against common man and that's what john carpenter felt like um especially in 1988 probably still today to, to a large degree too but it's uh something i really appreciate about this film is like this is him laying it all out for himself. <laughs> so that's kind of like my brief tangent about <laughs> John Carpenter. How much I appreciate this. Next movie. time on Kyle Rance. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, I'll get to it at the end. Um, Carpenter uh, cast Roddy after he watched him in WrestleMania three, which was a great WrestleMania. But 
um, he said, you know, Vince McMahon did not want Rowdy Roddy Piper to do this movie because he was one of their stars. Yeah. So uh, Carpenter says, yeah, I figured that. Yeah. Uh, McMahon told Piper that he would find him a different film at the same pay rate within four weeks. But Piper passed up and ended up splitting with the WWF at the time. Carpenter asks why, and Piper states plainly that McMahon is a control freak. When I came back to wrestling, I was twice as important as when I left, he says, and credits Carpenter and the success of this film. The politics of that business is something I don't get, says Carpenter. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, for better, better for for better and a lot more for worse. It is like the especially the world now of wrestling is Vince McMahon's game even today to the point. So it's and it's also clear like I know like um for the reason also like Vince McMahon was trying to he wanted to start his own kind of film produ- film projects there in the early in the early eighties, but like they really didn't start um, reaching fruition until like the early two thousands pretty much because it takes a lot of work to start film production obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like Vince McMahon is such a control freak and all because like he wants to micromanage everyone in his entire company and like be controlling of the of the entertainment and everything like that and it's a it's a poor deal. <laughs> um Many of the movie posters for this film featured a long blurb that reads, You see them on the street. You watch them on TV. You might even vote for one this fall. <laughs> you think they're people just like you. You're wrong. You're dead wrong. So there's a little bit of what the poster would read. Mm-hmm. Um, the communicators used by the guards near the end uh, of the movie is also like the PKE meter used by Egon and Ghostbusters. Reused prop. Yeah, one of the most popular props in film history, actually, a sci-fi prop. It's been appearing in a lot of films. Um, Even it was a Stargate, too. <laughs> the role of Nada was originally written for Kurt Russell, which mm-hmm. could he have pulled it off? Probably. But after, he see, after he'd seen him uh, in his other films, Elvis in 79, Escape from New York in 81, The Thing in 82, and Big Trouble in Little China, he's like, I probably just need somebody else. Kurt Russell, like specifically for that era, always seemed to play a lot more like rougher Healed characters a lot more, uh, especially for like Escape LA. Like, he, he's like, he's the ultimate kind of like, edgy bad boy, basically. And uh, Roddy Piper, I feel like he brought the humanity to the role where like, he's still like, even when he was a heel in WWF, he's also still kind of like got a lot of heart to him, <laughs> and he delivers that in his performance here. Well, Piper so. had a difficult life um, growing up, and he said that the uh, homeless, you know, where the police come and attack the homeless shelter, uh, it said it was difficult for him to film because. Uh, he had witnessed some of the similar events in his life when he was young. He's like, it was a painful scene for me uh, to, to, to yeah. uh, record. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and the, the real-life Roger Toombs is underdog you know, in, in every respect where he was fighting for the common man himself. And that's why I think he also respected John Carpenter so much because they're both so like-minded in their creations. You know? It cost $12,000 to have the train roll by for the opening shot. A technical error required them to do it a second time. So if it cost $12,000 for that and $12,000 again to do it, which is $24,000, the budget was only what? $4 million. Yeah, so, so that's I mean, you, took, you took a chunk. Yeah. Um, Four thousand dollars. <laughs> that's a, that, that's that's a lot. Macho Man Randy Savage had a favorite line in this film, and this being the family friendly uh, show, it is. I'll just leave out some of the explicitives. Life's an explicitive, and she's back in heat. Was <laughs> Macho yeah. Man's favorite. That is a line. really good line. Um, <laughs> John Carpenter thought about a famous actor to play Nada, such as Tom Cruise, Patrick Swayze, Sylvester Stallone, David Hasselhoff, and Johnny Depp. However, he decided he needed a professional wrestler to play the part. So I've got some in here of uh, people that uh, could have played the part, and I'll let you know what you think when, when we get to them. Um, here we go. Matter of fact, it was my next note. So, Kyle, you tell me yes or no if you could see these people playing Nada. 
Okay. Not nothing, oh. but Roddy Piper's part of this. All right. Alec Baldwin. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> Michael ba- uh, Bean. Michael Bean. Ooh. Ooh. Um, there's too much baggage with Terminator, I feel like, but he would do a good job still. <laughs> Brian Bosworth. Brian Bosworth. Uh, yeah, I, I can, do I can it. see it. Yeah, I can see that. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Oh. Do you know... That's an iffy one. Not as good, but yeah, he could do it. Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Bruce Campbell. It's a very different movie, but also a really good movie. Really I want to see that movie, too. Uh, it's Tom, not the same, but I want to see Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, he's too pretty. <laughs> that's, that's the real. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Ooh. Uh, too much star power for that one. I feel like it's Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Uh, he had the mullet. <laughs> he had the mullet. He could have done. I, I think he would have done fine actually at doing that. It's Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Ooh. Um. Gosh, how old was he even then? I don't know. Maybe too old for that role there. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Uh, Michael Keaton always knocks it out of the park, so of course he would do it. <laughs> Christopher Lambert. Christopher Lambert. Ooh. That uh, might have been a good one too. Uh, that's a. Can't, you can't go wrong, Christopher Lambert, right? <laughs> Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang. Mm, maybe. Maybe. Dolph Lundgren? Dolph Lundgren. It wants to get too much. It's just, it's just too much. Michael Madsen. Michael Madsen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that's a no. It's a, it's a very different movie, but also that's, I want to That's a it. no for me, dog. That's, I can that's, see that's, it. That's a no, but uh, also a movie. <laughs> Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. Oh. You know, I would love more one more Bill Paxton movie in my life, but also yeah. I still love Iron Roddy Piper movies still. Ron so. Perlman. Ron Perlman. Um, <laughs> I, I love a, Ron Perlman. This is a laughing matter, but I could see you picturing him in the movies. Just his whole voice. <laughs> I, I can I can imagine him doing it. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> no. Sylvester Stallone. Uh, no. Uh, Patrick Swayze. Actually, Sylvester Stallone. Like, eh, he probably did that. Patrick Swayze. I think definitely. Uh, yeah, Patrick Swayze. In Roadhouse, like, absolutely. I think so. I see Patrick. Jean Claude Van Damme. Jean Claude Van Um. I was like, it's a different movie. I would like to see that movie still, but it's a different movie at that point. So and Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Uh, really? Wait. Oh, yes. Yeah, Die Hard was already out at that point. So, um, probably not. No, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think, think so either. It's a different person because, you know, Bruce Willis, like, he has that New York detective thing going on in, in Die Hard, trying to bring that to Roddy Piper's character and not a. Um, it's just a different vibe altogether. I can't, I can't relate to it the same way. Because, like, when I think of Bruce Willis, he's just, he's not, Amer- he's not the every, everyday working man. <laughs> you got to remember, he sees dead people, not aliens. <laughs> 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 uh, a book next to Nada is shown uh, was written by Edgar Casey on ESP, who claimed to have psychic powers. In his youth, he was talking to angels and receiving messages from aliens, same as the protagonist in this movie. He was considered a weirdo, and nobody believed him. Kind of just like Roddy Piper. So I thought that was interesting they threw that little sidekick in there. <laughs> uh, the director does have a cameo in this. Uh, John Carpenter was uncredited as the voice that says, Sleep. Remember that? Sleep. <laughs> yeah. um, and he gets name dropped right at the end, too. Where, like, that's I what I was getting ready to yeah, say okay, next. Yeah. The, one of the Alien TV broadcasts refers to the director by name, but Alien commentator is complaining about sex and violence in the media, and his dialogue breaks off with the words, Filmmakers like George A. Romero and John Carpenter have to show some restraint. They're they simply and then it breaks away. I love that. <laughs> it away break. It's so clever. I was like, wow. And I had to stop it. I was like, did he just really name drop himself? Yeah, you got to go for it. 
Um, Got to make himself a bad boy. I love it. <laughs> this is something that me and you talked about before we went on air, is that all the various aliens throughout the movie, both male and female, were portrayed by a stunt coordinator, Jeff Amata, but the credits list a female ghoul is played by Michelle Costello, and obviously there are a few scenes where multiple ghosts are on screen. Amata played the ghouls who had close-up and speaking parts. He could fit into any of the costumes, says Carpenter, before Piper added, uh, and he doesn't mind the pumps. Uh, when you have 14 black belts, you can wear pumps. So I guess he was a black belt and had 14 black belts. Yeah, and I, I didn't, I forgot that's originally what they referred to as um, in terms of their production, feel like, but yeah, uh, ghoulish is like an apt description of the of the monster designs, the alien designs. Right. Yeah, that's actually. You know what they kind of reminded me of? If you ever seen Mars Attacks, they okay. kind of look like the aliens in Mars Attacks. They, they have those way. eyes. Right. Kind of like in the way. The, I love that movie, too. Yeah, yeah. So Mars silly. Attacks. Uh, that's the movie we got to get to someday. Um, <laughs> and I thought this was pretty cool that. This is a film that is shot in black and white and in color. Um, basically, when it goes to black and white is when you put the sunglasses on and you see the aliens and, and the billboards and the words. See the um, reality. And I really thought it was cool that when he went to the magazine stand and he was flipping through a magazine, that's where it's like, obey, yeah. don't question authority, you know. You know and Marry, breed, you know, marry, have children, right. procreate, all those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I also thought it was interesting that uh, when Piper does blow up the tower signal that all the aliens are in color uh, to the visible mm-hmm. eye too which was I thought that was very um, well thought out well well done uh, and last but not least Andromedon was the name of the planet that the aliens were fi- from Andromedon probably in the Andromeda galaxy <laughs> <laughs> the Andromeda strain uh, so Kyle give me your thoughts on they live so usually when we do these podcasts um, it's a movie that like I have I've either like watched once in my life or like never watched the first time, so I have to go back and reach into it and find out what I feel about this movie. Um, they Live is not the case. I've probably seen this movie at least a couple dozen times over my life, if not more. It's a movie I probably watch every few months because <laughs> it's just it's absolutely fantastic just watching Roddy Piper and Keith David go at it and just fight themselves <laughs> to, <laughs> to just batter themselves basically. And I think it's one of the best films of all time, and I think it's one of the it's one of Jonathan Carver's best films I ever made, and um, <laughs> I absolutely love it. So for me, it's like ten out of ten. Everybody's got to watch this film once because it's clear it, it's pure filmmaking indulgence in a way where it's like it's clear like this is a film that he had a low budget for because it's everything he did, everything he wanted to do, he did. It's clearly he had full control over this film and uh, got Roddy Piper to do the role and Keith David and John Carpenter was like, I want this, this, and this. I want to say this about the world. I want to say this about how advertisements and mass media and politics and power and all those things work and he put it all on the line there and I can't help but love and respect him for it so for me it's a great movie Jimbo how do you feel man I go back and forth on this movie for one thing um, and I told you about this is they use that same little da 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 it's like it's like played throughout the entire movie <laughs> and you said well it's because of synchronized Roddy Piper steps at the beginning of the film yeah, I, understand, yeah, yeah. I understand that but uh, to me, that was a little over the top. Um, for the time, it's a very interesting movie. Um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation, and, and, and Carpenter shot down about how it's basically that the Jews are controlling the world and all that. Uh, this sort of I have that, heard the anti-Semitic reads yes, about that before. And, and Carpenter's like, there's total hogwash. You know, people are reading into this way too much. I did this because this is how I felt about government and all that. And people are saying, like, 
the neo-Nazi groups are taking it one way, you know, the white supremacists are taking it one way, you know, it's, it's just... It's the double-edged sword of the fact, that, like, I, like I was talking about before, where, like, he kept every... He took... He kept all these entities vague. Like, yes, there's aliens, but also humans are collaborating with these aliens to keep them... Keep the common people down. Um, so, like, he, he very was specific, like, these are the power elite... And to some people, the power elites are Jewish people. Some people, the power elites are um, conservatives or Democrats, something like that. Politicians or big oil companies, something like that. So, like, um, if you think John Carpenter intended that, that's you putting yourself onto what he his vague stuff was. Right. Like it's, 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 if it's valid to you, that says more about you than it says about John Carpenter. He kept it vague on purpose for right. that very reason. I, I like Roddy Piper. I thought he did well job, a uh, very good job in this movie. Um, Keith David did a really good job in this movie. Um, to me, it was just—I don't want to say it was a, a great movie. It wasn't a fantastic. It wasn't the best of all time, like you think it was. Uh, but that's the beauty of this podcast. Everybody has their own opinions, and, and we appreciate that. Um, was it a fun movie? Yeah, it's like it's like No Holds Barred with Hulk Hogan. Was it a fun movie? Yes, it was fun. It's not going to win any awards or blockbuster. You know what I mean? Yeah, blockbuster yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, but. But to watch it and, and unfold the way it did, I thought it was brilliant uh, about the sunglasses. You know what I mean? I thought that was a brilliant uh, way to bring the audience in and see what was going on. And then the thing I like about it is it makes you think in, in, in the world today, adverts, you know, I've heard about people the, like uh, shopping centers playing music that makes you want to buy more, like subliminal messaging and, and advertising. The subtle ways in which we're all, all right. pushed to things. You right. Know. So to me, it was, yeah, definitely watch it at least once. Um and then decide if you like it or not. But yeah, it, it wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah. And another thing, like me and Jimbo were talking about before we recorded the podcast too, is that uh, I feel like uh, not to not to begrudge Hulk Hogan, but like no holds bar. Like it, Hulk Hogan is a, a, a stage performer. He's a wrestler first and foremost. Where I feel like Roddy Piper was a really impressive actor for this role. And it's unfortunate that like, granted, this was the decade of big action stars, but like Roddy Piper should have been like as big as like Dwayne the Rock Johnson is now for his decade. I believe. I think it's unfortunate. That he only had like they live and hell comes to frog town as like his two main film moments. When if anything, he could have gone on to do many more action films and had a huge career outside of that. And, you know, continue to do great stuff. Right, but how much of that yeah. was the wrestling industry keeping him down too? So you don't know, you know, like Vince McMahon and the wrestling industry keeping him. Yeah, down. there's a tremendous so, amount of factors that go into it. Vince McMahon is a very controlling person. <laughs> but then again, he had split by WWF by the time that after WCW this movie, so he should have been able to do whatever he wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, maybe just the roles weren't there for him, and it could have been directly involved with this movie you never we, know you don't know all the circumstances right. going into it but i say it's unfortunate like you know i i wish there were a lot more roddy piper films to enjoy that's like in general like, i feel like he could have i think he could have supported whole franchises by himself he absolutely could have been like it you know he could have been the same kind of uh groups as arnold schwarzenegger and Sylvester stallone as like being huge action stars for literal decades and it's kind of unfortunate that he kind of dropped by because i feel like he just he had a great of just like he is he's He's both a huge, really strong man and also the everyman that kind of like you can fantasize yourself being being that kind of person who's just that heroic kind of uh, everyman right. kind of situation. And it was also weird seeing Piper as a hero when he plays a villain on TV. That, he's the that, ultimate that, heel that's on TV. It was pretty interesting. But even, on, but even like even when he's the heel in wrestling, he's also like a lovable heel. Like he's, <laughs> I, I never fully hated him in, in yeah. wrestling. He's always like he's mischievous. He's mischievous. He's not. He's not bad. <laughs> well, there you have it. That's our thoughts on They Live. Um, remember to follow us on Facebook at the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast. If you'd like to write us a review on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Play Podcasts, we'll read them on the air. 
Um, also, um, we have a merchandise uh, on the redbubble.com. Uh, uh, you go on there and find it. Uh, just search Tragedy of Cinema. You'll see, uh, you have to click on one of the pictures. And then we've got different things. We got one for the original of me and Terrence. We got one of the Twilight Zone with me and ADZ. And then we got one with the three amigos with some background characters with like Michelangelo from the Turtles, uh, and, Norman Bates. And if you're wearing your black sunglasses, I want to thank you right now. Just obey. <laughs> Consume. Kyle, please. Like the podcast. <laughs> Well, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And, and Kyle, take it away. And cut.